Welcome to Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and we're going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming from ATL, Everett Avor, e Yvette Avery Herod from Georgia. Welcome aboard, Norman Reynolds. Welcome to Politics Done Right, Sarah Beastie. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming, Norman Reynolds, Sarah. Oh, I, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad everything is wearing good. We should be having the Yvette Avery interview on Thursday. Not only on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston and around the country on the Pacifica Network, but we'll also have it on Thursday here as well. We've been late in getting some of the information, but Yvette is one of our leaders in the labor movement, and we really want to get her aired as soon as possible, especially with Striketober almost coming to an end, and of course, going forward, moving forward. Anyway, folks, welcome to Politics Unraveled. We've got a great program for you today. What is the program going to be about today? Let's talk about what the program is going to be about today as soon as I get it up on the screen. The program today will be, will be, will be, will be, if you come to the screen, I can then tell my folks, conservative Muslim woman's U.S. journey, Manchin says, he's lost. How can Manchin be lost? The screen, I can then tell my folks, conservative Muslim woman's U.S. journey. Oh, you know, that, that happens when you turn your, 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 the wrong, wrong parameters on. Anyhow, so uh, we have Manchin saying he's lost, but we have a whole lot much more. I want to start, before I go to that interview, I want to play Manchin, because I think it is quite instructive what he has to say. Let's go ahead and do that, and then we'll get back into the program. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Rana McBerto, is your host... PDR welcomes badass comedian Mona Sheikh. Joe Manchin got interviewed today and they asked him the very important question. Are you leaving the Democratic Party? What do you think about being, isn't it easier being a Republican? Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Have you ever thought my life would be easier for you if you shifted to being a Republican? And somebody have said recently that um, you know, people have approached you about doing that every day, every day. So um, well, any, either that or just here's a, I actually wouldn't it might be easier for you to do that. Oh, it'd be much easier. My goodness. Are you is that like the purpose of being involved in public service? Are, are you thinking about it's easy? doing it? No, I've never I, I never thought from this. I, I'm a, what I'm telling you now is who I am. Do you think by having a D or an I or an R is going to change who I am? I don't think the R's be any more happier with me than D's are right now. Okay, I mean, that's about as blunt as I can put it. So I don't know where in the hell I belong. Little nitpick. So I don't know where the hell I belong. Do you think changing it to an R, an I, or D is going to change me? And the Republicans will be just as pissed at me as the Democrats are. Believe it or not, I kind of like the answer. Now, I don't like the morals behind what he stands for but I think there's a certain ring to that answer and there's another important piece for now he's still caucusing with the Democrats because he does realize his power only lies within the Democratic Party that has a slim majority with the vice president but you know what as soon as he is irrelevant to the to the Democratic Party which our expectations is that it will come pretty soon. Progressives, you got to go out there and work hard. You have to go out there against cinema. You got to go out there against mansion. You got to go out there against every single Democrat. 
that belongs in another party that doesn't really support the middle class, that doesn't really support policies that, and that lifts people up, people that are not going to be condescending to those who have been maligned by the plutocracy. When you hear a Joe Manchin say, I don't want to create an entitlement state, yet he entitles the plutocracy with benefits, with billions of dollars, trillions of dollars of our work. You know, we have to rid ourselves of those. Right now we need Joe Manchin. Right now we need Kirsten Cinema. But it is our job to go out there and do the work that is necessary to really build a progressive base. But that also requires informing people appropriately. So that they so that the fallacies that come across from these guys, his daughter was the one who gouged us with the EpiPen. These were the people who constantly lie to us about somehow profit in the healthcare system can somehow be more efficient than a one-payer system. The fallacies of many of the people in our own party has to end, and it ends by progressives getting them out in the long run, but playing ball when necessary to attain the ultimate goal. So, where do you belong? When we get more progressives elected, like you once said, you'll understand where you belong. Absolutely so. And what Norman said is, is, is fact. He is trying to please who? Himself or his constituents. And it's evidence it's himself. A guy from the poorest, the second poorest state in the country, not supporting policies that his people need, that will do well to elevate his people. It's a sad, sad state. Again, uh, let me welcome Norman Reynolds, Sarah Beatty, uh, Paul Fleming, Everett, Avery Herod. Uh, let's see who else is in the house right now in the chat. Uh, I think I got those in the chat right now. Anyhow, let's go ahead and get our interview busy. It's a, a, you know, it's, I think you're going to like it. It's kind of fun. And then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics and Rana McBerto. Will is your host. PDR welcomes badass comedian Mona Sheikh. She combines a South Asian sensibility with strong Americanized values, cherishing the First Amendment, the right to bear witness with a big freedom-loving mouth that raises eyebrows and temperature. She has a hell of an offbeat sense of humor. Sheikh is a non-uptight tightrope walker who commits serious oral gammy. You get it? Unfolding the spoken word while striving to maintain equilibrium whilst dealing with harsh and conflicting forces. With half of her life spent in a prominent conservative Muslim household in Pakistan and the other immersed with America's entertainment and culture, Mona now knows she was set out to break boundaries. Today, Mona resides in Los Angeles, California, pursuing her career as a comedian and actor while developing her upcoming one-hour special and comedy TV series. She also made history by becoming the first Pakistani female comedian to headline Hollywood improv. Mona was most recently featured in LA Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC, The Progressive, and Huffington Post. Mona has headlined in Dubai, Portugal, and London. She has emceed the Women's March in San Francisco in 2019, thus making history to be the first South Asian Middle Eastern female comedian to perform for a crowd of 60,000 people. She recently appeared on The Rookie on ABC as 
Donna Abassi, and will also be on Apple TV's Helpsters as Reina Rafter. She gained, she again made history by producing her own show at the world-famous comedy store in Los Angeles called Minority Reports with a launch of sold-out shows. Mona, Mona, Mona. That was a handful. No, that was a mouthful. No, that was a ton. You are out there, girl. Talk to me. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing great. You know what it is? It's like I um, usually when the intros happen, I'm not present for the intro. So I'm just like when somebody's saying the intros, I'm like, la, 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 you know, and because it's like, OK, it's too much. All right. Now it sounds like I'm showing off. This is just showing off. Like, OK, stop. Um, wait, but, wait, 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 wait. Showing off your in, your in show business. What's the first word in show business? It's show, yeah, it's show, you. you know, you show your talent, like, you know, I, I guess I get a little, uh, I don't know, I get a little but shy about You're that. talented, my dear, you're talented, but you know what, uh, your, your story, first you. of all, your story, first of all, when it was brought to me, I said, we had to have you, and the only thing I'm kind of pissed about is that you went to Times, Forbes, LA Weekly, NBC, <laughs> before you came to the little guy at Politics Done Right. So I'm hurt, but no, it's okay. Please don't be hurt. I just I just learned about you recently. So if I had learned about you, I would have totally been, uh, but hey, listen, we're here. That's all that we're, matters. You know what? Exactly right. We are here. But here, here's the deal, Mona. Your history, um, for the things that I talk about in politics, it goes beyond politics. It mm -hmm. goes into real humanity. So yeah. what I want to ask you is, First of all, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, and uh, and then I'm going to ask you about your transition. So, tell me a little bit about your upbringing, where you're from, etc. Yeah, so I uh, was born and partially raised in Karachi, Pakistan, or as you say, Pakistan, which is a, a really good pronunciation. The way you say it, I really like it. Uh, and um, the reason our family, I have four older brothers, and uh, my father had a car business. My mom was a stay-at-home wife. Um, and the main reason we came to the U.S. is because two of my brothers, my second and my third brother, were given expired vaccination for polio, and they ended up getting polio because of the expired vaccination oh my God. that they were injected with. So my mom, uh, this uh, this uh, this young girl, this 23-year-old girl, my mom had 23 kids at the age of uh, five kids at the age of 23. At the you know. And I wow. asked my parents, and I was like, did you not have a TV at home or a radio station? <laughs> Anything to keep you entertained? Like, what's going on? And my mom was like, it is God's gift. I'm like, I think human beings have something to do with it, mom. But sure, <laughs> blame God for it. You go right ahead. But uh, my mom has always been this incredibly uh, innovative and, uh, you know, ambitious lady. And she would uh, usually cover herself up and go and stand in line at the uh, U.S. consulate five o'clock in the morning to say that she's going to take her kids to the States to get them treatment because there was no treatment for my brothers in Pakistan. So uh, Shriners Hospital, shout out to Shriners in Kentucky, uh, responded to one of the letters my mom wrote to them and told them that I have two sick kids. And that's how we started coming to the U.S. But I think the whole thing about all the kids coming here, my parents never lived here. Uh, my father had a business, so he always resided in Pakistan. But the reason uh, that we all ended up here, all five of us, is because my mom's uh, first cousin was a huge politician in Pakistan. And uh, we were started getting death threats at home when I was a teenager. And you know how that goes. Um, so, you know. Uh, Whose administration were you under then? I, um... 
Was that uh, Ria or who was that? Uh, Benazir was in Benazir power. Buto. Okay. Benazir yeah. Bhutto was in power. So yes. my uncle had just gotten elected and uh, we were getting these death, death threats at home. So my mom, like my parents freaked out. They were like, we got to send all the kids to America. But, you know, coming from a conservative Muslim household, you know, sending the daughter off to a country like America or to the West isn't the most preferred choice. So my uncles and relatives were calling on my parents and were like, are you sure? I don't think you should send your daughter. She's going to be totally spoiled. She's going to be totally ruined. She's going to, you know, be out there telling jokes on stage, which they were so right. Uh, they didn't tell, they didn't talk about the jokes, but I manifested <laughs> that for myself. But, uh, and, uh, and uh, my parents were like, look, uh, if the sons go to America, the daughter goes to America too. She gets absolute equal treatment so i think uh, as much of a conservative household as i grew up in that's one thing i that really respect and value about my parents is that they gave me the equal access to america when i got here versus when i lived in uh, but know, let me ask you because you said you're a concert you're, you you came from a conservative household in pakistan were you following all the rules wearing the uh, burqa all that good stuff when you were in pakistan we didn't wear uh, the burqa, but I performed the holy pilgrimage when I was 11 years old, which you is did. very young. Yeah, very young to be performing a holy pilgrimage. But we were always, you know, we, were, we weren't allowed to like wear dresses or skirts or, you know, you were always covered up. You were pretty covered up most of the time. Right. You know, religion was a very big part of our household. You know, we were, we, we were, we had to read the Quran like twice. And it's fascinating, you know, when you grow up in a Muslim household that they teach you how to read the Quran, but the Quran's in Arabic. We don't speak Arabic. We, we speak Urdu. So we're like, yeah, I, I don't know. know what I'm reading. Yeah. You're like, I don't, don't know, know what I'm reading. But you're well, like, oh. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, maybe that explains your explosion when you came to the United States. Tell us about that transition now. This conservative Muslim woman, or how old were you? I was 15. Oh, that was at the prime age. A 15-year-old conservative Muslim woman comes to what state? Uh, New York. Good old New York. Oh, my God. What happened? I, I'm trying to figure the same thing out. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what happened indeed. You know, when you come to America, uh, because we in Pakistan would watch the movie Home Alone. We would watch these movies. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's what America looks like. And then when I got here, we were, I got picked up by J at JFK airport by my brothers and we were driving to Manhattan. I was like, oh my God, this is just like the movie Home Alone. Like this is where they shot it. And then when you cross the Holland Tunnel and get into Jersey City, you're like, what happened? This is not what I signed up for. This is a ripoff. Like, where's my money? I want it back. Like I've been lied to. <laughs> Because you get to Jury City and you're just like, this is nothing like the show in the movies. This is so the opposite. And, you know, when you're like these poor immigrant kids, you come here. We live in a one-bedroom roach-infested basement apartment, for God's sake. Like, that is the farthest thing from the movie Home Alone. So when you get here, you're like, oh, my God, this is, this is not fun. And, you know, going to school is a big culture shock. Mainly because of the fact, not because we didn't speak the language. I, we spoke multiple language, well, languages growing up. Uh, but when you go to school, it's such a different, it's such a different environment. Also, 15 is the worst age to arrive to America. It's the worst. 
kids already have their clicks. They don't know who you are. You're this fob, you know, this fresh off the boat kid. You know, kids are looking down at you. They're like calling you all kinds of names. You know, some kids were like, oh my God, you smell like curry. And I was like, curry's delicious. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now everybody wants to smell like curry, right? In the in the, in the the late 90s, nobody wanted to smell like curry. Now everybody wants a taste of the it's curry. It's the thing. It's the thing now. I mean, it's so good that England abandoned their awful fish and chips and took our food as their official food. Can you believe that? That's that is how like, good our food is. I mean, you're making a joke out of that, but that is actually true. When you talk about British cuisine, British cuisine is now like Indian, Pakistani, and everything right. else, you know? That's right. That's right. Because they're down with brown now. Just for the food, though. <laughs> Just for the food. Down with the brown. Just for the food, though. Everything else needs to wait, you know? But uh, uh, it was it was strange. And I, I, I must confess, like, I saw pregnant teenagers in school and I was like, we just call them married back home. Like, I don't know what y'all call this here, but this is this is a little strange. Uh, like, I've never seen stuff like this before. Like, this is interesting. But I, you get bullied a lot in school. I didn't know what were bullies. You know, we call bullies teachers in Pakistan. That's what we call them. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, oh, this is this is just so interesting and so weird. But um, I remember the first day I went in for my admission in high school and my oldest brother was my, uh, you know, was, was my legal guardian. And I remember we were sitting down and my principal turns to my brother and goes, does she speak English? Because, again, the stereotypes of fresh off the boat, right. the language, how are they going to blend in? And I remember turning to my principal and be like, what would you like me to say? And he was like, what? I was like, yeah, bruh, we speak English. We speak in the English. We were ruled by the British for a long, long time. Okay. You, we know uh, let's talk a little bit. This is a political show here. So I want to get a little bit funny with this. I find it amusing that you came here from Pakistan, right? You yeah. spoke English and several other languages because of the nature where you're from. I'm originally from Panama, so I speak English and Spanish and a yeah. few little permutations thereof. You know, yeah. it, it is amazing that I find you come here and most of these folks here would only speak English. That's not a, it's not a hit on, on, on them only speaking English, sure. but the th because, you know, superpower, our language is the language. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing that is seldom understood is that, um, when those from other places where you have had dominion before, you would think you would know that, okay, if Pakistan was ruled by the British, maybe they speak English. If Vietnam was ruled by the French, maybe they spoke little French, French, right. you know, right. don't you think? Right. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that in America, we don't even speak English. We speak American. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't speak English. We speak American. Like, if you ever watch one of those crazy racist videos, like, listen to these people, the people who are attacking the minorities. The first thing I know, it's like, why don't you speak American? It's like, first of all, American's not even a language. It's an, it's a, it's an ethnicity. Like, what are you talking about? It's like somebody saying to me, why don't you speak Pakistani? <laughs> There's no such thing. Like, Pakistani is not a language. Urdu is the language we speak. Hindi is the language we speak. Pakistani is not a language. So I think... I, I think in America, of course, you know, as the American society, we also have this super, superiority complex because we're like, we're, you know, we're, we're the stuff, man. We're the hot stuff. And it's like, please, sir, take a seat. Like, you can't even speak American, right? Please take many <laughs> seats. Please take many seats. And, you know, I, I think, 
I think a lot of these folks who do speak like that don't even know the very history of their own country. Like this country is built on the back of immigrants like you and I. This is how this country is built. Like everything we have is by immigrants, built by immigrants, like for God's sake. So I think I just find it amusing and hilarious and uh, very ignorant when people come out and say, well, you know, you speak, you know, you're, you're coming from another country. It's like, yeah, the, the, the history of this entire country is immigrants. And everybody, you know, even, even those people that are sometimes attacking you, they were once immigrants. That's correct. Their children or grandkids or great, great grandkids of immigrants. You know, and, and that, that's why, you know, in, in, in our case, we are a progressive show and we have wonderful progressive listeners of all classes, of all races, of all ethnicities. And the one thing that we do at, in this program is bring folks on like you, because again, people get a chance to see the plethora of what America really is. And you, but the best part about it is you say it with a lot of possess. That's why we call you that badass comedian, because I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> because, but anyhow, so you came to America, you went to high school, you went through your bullying, you went through all that good stuff of what is Americana. Yes. The question is, how the hell did you get to LA and start doing this stuff? I mean, how did this conservative Muslim girl yeah. turn into this badass comedian American woman? Uh, you know, I um, I don't think being a stand-up comic was ever part of the plan by any means. It certainly wasn't the plan. I, I mean, when you come from a conservative Muslim household, you know, being a stand-up comic is not part of the, is not part of the, one of the career choices. Like, uh, my family, uh, just a little bit background on my family, um, I just grew up in a very, uh, I grew up with a lot of domestic violence in our house because my parents always thought about what had happened to my brothers. My father blamed a great deal of it to my mother, and there were always a lot of physical violence, like a lot. Uh, between my parents. And I think when I moved to the US, there was a lot of physical violence from my brothers. Uh, my brothers were very physically violent towards me. And I think when I turned 18, I just kind of realized that I just, I never felt like home was a safe place for me. So I just decided that I had to move out on my own and just figure my life out. I think at the age of eight, I had realized pretty early on that I wanted to be a performer. That much I knew. But the fact wait, wait, that- Did you say at the age of eight? Yes, at the age of eight. But at the age of eight, you were a conservative girl in Pakistan with those That's visions. Correct. So in reality, you were living out probably what you had seen on TV, maybe? That's correct. I, uh, so Bollywood has a huge, huge influence around the world. And of course, in Pakistan, because Pakistan is right next door to India. So most of our entertainment is from Bollywood. And I remember watching this movie with this amazing actress, by the name of Madhuri Dixit. And uh, Madhuri was doing a dance uh, to one of the songs and I just fell in love with her. I was like, oh my God, you get to be like this incredibly beautiful and talented and funny. Like you can be a performer like that. I'm like, that's it. That's gonna be me. I'm gonna be a performer for the rest of my life. But when I got here, that was, it was not so easy to navigate those waters. Because not at all. You know, I have four older brothers. I'm the youngest and the only girl in the family. I am expected to go to school or, you know, I remember coming out of my artist closet to my brothers and I told them and I was like, I want to be a performer. And my brothers gave me a very simple ultimatum. They said, what? either you're going to go to college 
and you're going to become a physical therapist. I don't know why they wanted me to become a physical therapist. Maybe they had bad backs and they wanted free physical therapy. I don't know. <laughs> or they said, we were going to send you back to Pakistan and mom's going to marry you off to someone. So take your pick. Now, I think one thing I realized at a very early age is that, um, that nobody was going to tell me how to live my life, especially when I'm in the land of the free. Like, there's no way. There's no way anybody gets to have any kind of, uh, you know, right or call on the way I'm going to live my life. So I remember telling my brothers and I was like, I love you, but go to hell. Like, this is my life and I'm going to do and I'm going to live the way I want to. No, let me ask you something, because let, this goes into a lot of what I think about when I come look at politics around the world and specifically, let's say, in the Muslim world. Yeah, I, I listened to you earlier tell me that at eight years old, you knew you wanted to be a performer. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a conservative Muslim thing for a young eight-year-old girl to, and even a 15-year-old girl now and to speak to a, a developed woman like yourself. Yeah. We look at what's going on in Afghanistan with women who are no longer allowed to become who they want to become. Um, what is it in the psyche of let's say the Muslim woman not in the United States that allows themselves to adapt to that modal? You know, I don't know if it's about adopting to a model. I think it's, I think it's just being human. I think, you know, we all as human beings have dreams of things we want to do and pursue, regardless of the environments that we are born and raised in. Um, you know, dreams are not limited to geography. They're not limited to culture or religion or even gender for that matter. I, I think dreams are your dreams. It's how you see living your life. It's how you see yourself. It's how you see that God has given, every person has a God given right to live their lives the way they wish to live. And that nobody can take that away. I wanna go deeper than that though. I wanna go deeper than that. Okay. Because I see you as special and I want to know how special you are relative to, let's say, Muslim women in Afghanistan. Let's take, let's go, even though I know you're from Pakistan, but let's go to Afghanistan because I know there are shared cultures and shared yeah. borders, etc. Yes. Um, there, there ought to be a lot of women, I imagine, in Afghanistan that has that same impetus to do what you want to do. Um, what is it that... Uh, why are you able to do it and so many have a problem escaping, if you will? Well, if you are uh, an Afghan woman or even if you're a Pakistani woman uh, living in an environment where you don't have the means or the resources that might like the way my family did to be able to send me to America. Yeah, like, like that's hard. I don't know for what reason God took pity on me and God blessed me with this opportunity to come to America and be able to become the woman I am today. But I know this much that because God has been so kind to me, I want to be able to use my platform to uplift women like myself or women who come from similar backgrounds to me or have experienced similar things to me. I mean, that is something that's the least I can pay forward. That's the least I can do. So it's not so much about why these women can't do what I'm doing. It's just their circumstances are probably a lot different than mine 
you know, I'm sure that they were, if they were in similar circumstances than me and were given the same opportunities, I'm sure there would be incredible, amazing women doing special things. And it's that's the answer that I, that's, I am so happy for that answer because that's a perfect answer. Given opportunity, yeah. everyone gets that opportunity to be that's who correct. they want to be. That, was, that is the, the perfect answer. And you're putting your actions where your mouth is. You are putting your actions where your freedom is. I think this week, in fact, on Thursday, you're doing a big thing for yeah. people in Afghanistan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I've... Um... I've watched uh, how the Taliban has come back and taken power and voices away from my Afghan sisters and brothers. And um, it has been really breaking my heart in every single way. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of Afghans in Pakistan because we have a huge Afghan population in Pakistan. I don't know if you know, but Pakistan has the number one, the highest amount of refugees in the world. Like mm -hmm. that's what Pakistan is as a, uh, as tumultuous as Pakistan can be, it's also this dynamic, very generous society that wants to take people in and help them out. Um, uh, this event, I, I've been watching Taliban how the first thing they did when they got to Afghanistan is paint over the paint over the women's pictures and yes. tell women to go home and they can't be professionals and put a burqa on and they're not allowed in the streets. So this is, with all due respect. Uh, a middle finger to the uh, to the Taliban. So I wanted to do a comedy benefit for Afghanistan, but I just didn't want to have uh, any, uh, you know, just just a, another comedy show. I wanted to bring an Afghan female comedian to come and be the host of the entire event because it's really the Afghan women that I want to uplift and give a voice to. So I got lucky and found Neelab Sarabi, who's the first Afghan female comedian, and she was kind enough to agree to do it and she's going to be our host we have another afghan comic male afghan comic we have persian comedians we have indian comics uh then i'm on the lineup and i really wanted to do this event and this fundraiser to we're working with two amazing ngos we're working with afghan refugee relief and we're working with hope be lit and uh the 100 of the donations go directly to helping afghans resettle in the u.s and also send money back to afghanistan so we are just uh i just wanted to do whatever i could if this is the little platform i have and this is what i can do for my afghan brothers and sisters then this is what i'll do so if your listeners want to come by it's on thursday october 28th 7 30 p.m uh in irvine you can find more details at minority reports with a z.com why the z you ask Alberto? because we're cool that's why uh, you're and damn cool we're cool that's why we did not want to be confused with the cool Tom Cruise movie. So we are at minorityreports.com and you can go and uh, buy tickets. And if you can't come, donate to the charities that we're working with because this is, this is a dire situation. Just the UN today came out and said that we are at the brink of a full-blown humanitarian, like this Afghan society is gonna collapse. Afghanistan society is gonna collapse. Millions of children are gonna go hungry. Forget about all the women that are stuck at home. I mean, this is just horrific what has happened in Afghanistan. So we wanna do our part. We wanna do whatever we can to give them opportunities. Just like God was kind enough to put me in a place to have an opportunity to live my dreams. I wanna create some kind of opportunities for my- And what's the website again, where they can get all the information about this? You can go to minorityreportswithaz.com.
Excellent. Now, the last question I ask every one of my interviewees is as yeah. follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would you have liked to ask me? Um, maybe ask me about, um, maybe ask me about why comedy? Why comedy? <laughs> I don't have the answer, Egberto. I don't have it. But, I, I, but you, you asked me to ask you an answer that you say you don't have. I know you got a little piece of it. Let me hear it. I have the answer. That. You know, uh, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know if, you know, I watched the greats, uh, your Richard Pryor to your George Carlin, you know, uh, and not that I'm on their, on their level by any means. Um, I feel like comedy is that kind of a talent that chooses its, uh, its, its artist, like comedy chooses you. I, you know, I feel like it's something that you're born with and that you recognize somewhere along the line and then you start honing that craft. I don't feel like you can teach comedy. Maybe you can teach the rules of comedy, but that innate thing that you have about having a voice, wanting to say something, having something meaningful to say. Not that not that a lot of comics have something meaningful to say. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, you should hear some of the turkey sandwiches jokes I'd hear. I've, I've heard of the comedy clubs. But, um, but I just feel like comedy is something that's an aid. And I feel fortunate that comedy chose me as one of its uh, delivery girls. Well, let me tell you something, Mona. Uh, don't sell yourself short. And don't think you're not in the company of the quote-unquote great because uh you have that electric personality that people want to listen to and that one could listen to over and over again so thank you so kindly for having been on politics done right thank you very much thank you so much for having me we well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really had a lot of fun uh, talking to Mona. I, uh, what she's doing for the women in Afghanistan on Thursdays is, is going to be a great thing out there in, in, in California. So um, I, I think it's a good thing. And she, you know, she's somebody that is insightful, understand politics and, uh, and know how to really come across in a humorous way. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Uh, Rose William, welcome aboard. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. I saw some Antoinette Bates. I want to address your topic in a little bit because you brought an important, you brought something that is important to the to the discussion. So um, let's see if there's anybody else. Uh, Paul Fleming is here, and Paul Fleming Senior is here. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I understand what you mean about um, about uh, the country was built by slaves it's absolutely true the country was built on free slave labor i want to quant, quant qualify this it was built on free slave labor again one does not obstruct that also it was built by uh, immigrants indentured servitude and many other things the people that got the worst out in this country yeah the slaves were bad too my ancestors in the Caribbean, my ancestors in Latin America, they suffered the misery of slavery as well. But I don't, by the same token, not because I as a uh, descendant of 
Latin American and Caribbean slaves, will I not cherish that immigrants from all over the world created what America is today? And if we want to really give nomenclature to those who have suffered the most under the conquering of America, let's also give homage to the Native Americans who didn't just get a chance to be slaves, or that, that, that was completely and terribly worded, I understand, but were simply pilfered, maimed, killed, everything taken from them, as well as, well, we know the history. So I was not trying to be rude. Miss Antoinette uh, Bates, or I don't think Mona herself was trying to disregard the, poor, the what slaves played in this country, but to say that one group did pay that ultimate price, which is true, should not deny either the natives who paid likely a worse price in their lives, or the immigrants other immigrants, not slaves, that built this country. Being able to acknowledge all these realities, I think, is very important and does not degrade the service that any particular group have done to create this country that we have. I tell you one of the things, and I'll move on, but I want to say this, because as a black Caribbean Latino person. The thing that most hurt me at a time was when I went and spoke to uh, the group. Uh, what, what what is the group? Uh, uh, the group. Uh, it, it's a it, it's a group that's trying to recover reparations and all of that. Uh, what is it called again? Uh, the, it's a movement. Help me out, folks. The Black Movement now that's gaining some popularity. Uh, I, I sometimes I forget it. Anyhow. But I remember going and saying, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to help with, you know, with this group. And one of, and, and this was actually a good friend. Looked my said, but ADOS, that's the movement, ADOS. Looked at me and said, yeah, but you aren't ADOS. In other words, you don't qualify. And it's not like I was trying to qualify as Americans, descendants of slaves or something like that is what this group called for. But it was very distasteful to me that, if I walked into a store with this person, and this person, there, there's no difference that somebody's going to say, oh, you're a Latin Caribbean black, and you're an American black. They're going to just look and see who I am, right? What I look like. And so when it comes to that movement, I will not understand why, to, for all practical purposes, ADAS, yeah. For all practical purposes, thank you very much, Yvette. They have limited themselves, in my humble opinion, and it's just my opinion, and I've spoken to them on shows, etc., and have good discussions with them. But I think it is very limiting in the manner in which they promote what I call is dissension among, uh, you know, again, some. Anyhow. Moving on, welcome aboard everybody else that I have not yet welcomed. Uh, just welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, this, uh, I always forget to do this, but I'm not going to this time. Please, I would love for you to support us, those of you that are on YouTube. 
please go ahead and click that join button and become a part of the family. If you don't see that join button, we have a link for you. You can support us going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. You can also support us by going to politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. As I've said before, the reason we want to spread to these different platforms is when one platform decide that they, you know, when you're using other platforms, they are in command to how the, you, 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 you're supported. So uh, please support us at either politicsandright.com slash YouTube or politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Of course, we always support PayPal, so please consider that as well, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Consider getting our books. You really get a lot out of our books, I promise you that. And not only that, you're right here with the author, and if, we, if, if there's anything that you'd want to discuss, you can either discuss here on the show or have a personal conversation with me, whether by email, chat, whatever. I am very responsive. Uh, you know, uh, I've always been, and our audience would tell you that, very responsive. So consider getting our books, politicsandright.com slash books. And buy the mugs. Buy the mugs. I don't have it in, in I, I have to add that to the to our thing, but you can, let me give you a link to the mugs. Uh, thank you very much for pointing that out. You can get the mugs right here. The Politics and Right mugs, I just put the link in the, in the um, chat for the mugs. And you can also get all our books at politicsdoneright.com slash books. Look, we can't do this without you. We can't get that progressive message out without you. We can't go ahead and create all the videos, the blogs. And why, why are we doing all of this? I mean, I, we have new people, a lot of new people that come every day. Why do we do all of this? We have, if, if, if you see what the right wing does, and you, people wonder, why do these people believe the things that they believe? They believe it because they get it from the, either the idiot box, or they get it from YouTube, or they get it from Facebook, or whatever, because they have the funding, that they have people all over the world, in, in Russia, in Vietnam, populating our internet with right wing lies. So that you can see a right-wing video that's lying. There's this stuff called something university. I mean, giving you the semblance of reality. All we can do is for, at a marginal cost, create videos, create blogs, create articles, create books that put the truth out there. And personally, what I do, I spend 16 hours a day. And <laughs> added to my day now, it's the care of my daughter, of course, uh, from, from a stroke. But... We spend a lot of time trying to create this narrative to help tell the truth and make sure that the internet is filled up with other information as well. So I ask you kindly to support us at one of those links. Get our books, get our mugs, get our, support us via Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Support us via our YouTube channel, however you can. You help us do what we need to do. The catch-all support link for our, our production here is uh, politicsdoneright.com support. And that gives you all the different forms in which you can provide us with support. All right, let me read some of what you guys are saying before I go to the next video. We have uh, Rose Williams says, One aspect of historical exploitation that many are unaware of is that most slave owners were careful to work their slaves so hard, but not to the point of killing them. They wanted to protect their property. 
Believe it or not, Rose, we've spoken about that a, a few times where people talk about the, how, how slaves were treated and whipped and so forth. And we always made sure to mention that, yeah, but they were, and you use the word appropriately, just to the point of not killing them because we can't lose our property. It's sad, isn't that? But those who came here as indentured servants, since they weren't property, didn't have that protection. A huge percentage never survived their period of indentured because they were literally worked to death. Rose, and that is one of the reasons, Rose, I don't know if you, well, I'll just say, that is a, such an important segue in, I'm not going to play the other video because I want, Rose just pointed out something that is very and so important. And I want everybody to listen to this. This is going to be an important narrative that I'm going to say right here. So please listen up. Please share this narrative. I want to read Rose's two statements again and then apply it to today. In speaking about slavery, one as this is what Rose says. One aspect of historical exploitation that many are unaware of is that most slave owners were careful to work their slaves so hard, but not to the point of killing them. They wanted to protect their property. But those who came here as indentured servants, since they weren't property, didn't have that protection. A huge percentage never survived their period of indentured servitude because they were literally worked to death. Here is the, the important segue to what Rose Williams just said. Let's bring it on to today. If you're a regular listener of my program, I call capitalism and how the corporations deal with people as, as uh, antiseptic slavery abstracted slavery what do i mean by that rose just answered that question in the past when you were owned by another human being when a when a person a company owned you they had to feed you they had to clothe you you didn't get the best cooking you didn't get the best health care you didn't get the best housing or any of that but they had to take care of you because you were property when we learn how to abstract slavery, we abstract the responsibility of the corporation to you. So therefore, as an entity that belongs, that, that does not belong to the corporation, who was just there selling their labor, selling their services, selling their intellect, all the corporation cares about is what you have to do for them so that they can maximize whatever you do to make the profits for a few. So, they don't have to give you healthcare, so most companies don't. They don't have to clothe you, they don't have to feed you, they don't have to make sure that you make enough money for all of those things either. So what does that mean? That then means that when it's time for them to make a change, they can get rid of you. When you get sick, to hell with you. If you don't have any clothes, to hell with you. If you don't have any food, to hell with you. That is where we, the people, the government comes in and says, These are what the, this is what the limit is going to be. And this is why we need social programs to protect us against the corporation. People always say, we, don't, we want small government and we like corporate control. Are you kidding me? Corporate control is antiseptic slavery. But 
it has to be abstracted in a manner that you believe they are in it for you. And they do a good job. Amazon have great commercials on now. We pay at least $15 and in, in heavy other places, we go ahead and we give you a better deal. When they want to not pay for your health care or when they don't want you to negotiate for the price of drugs, oh, they're, the, the government wants to tell you what drugs you can have. It's, it's all mirrors and, and it's smoke and mirrors. And when you understand that you have ceded, you weren't, you're not a slave. And you know, slavery used to look this hue. Not anymore. Slavery, look in the mirror. If you don't own a company, if you don't own your methods of production, look in the mirror. You are the new slave. I am the new slave. Look in the mirror. Until we change the laws in a manner that supports us all. A manner where the corporation cannot be the one who runs it. The corporation cannot be the one that controls our lives until we get policies that really gives us humanity, humane policies. We will remain under the tenet of antiseptic slavery. You see, antiseptic slavery is much better than slavery based on hue, based on color. Why? Because you have a bigger pool. You have a bigger pool to choose from. And not only that, you don't have to pay for their clothes. You don't have to pay for anything. You just have to use them. And when they're done, as, as uh, Rose Williams said, a huge percentage never survived their period of indentured servitude because they were literally worked to death. And what happens now, many people can't even survive their social security. It is, uh, uh, thank you for giving me that segue, Rose. Thank you for giving me that segue. That was a very important piece that you pointed out there. John Smith says, yet leftists push for economic slavery to the government since physical slavery is no longer legal. No, John, I, I, let's, let's, not, let's not conflate. We are not serving. You see, the government is just a pass-through, a redistributor, a, re, a redistributor many times of excesses. The government doesn't hold on to anything. We, the people, don't hold on to anything. And, and again, it's a, ma it, it's a way of changing the frame, changing how we were indoctrinated to see the reality of how things are. So um, let's see, anything else that people want to say? Let's see if I missed a, a comment that needs mention. Great interview, says Rose Williams. Thank you so kindly, uplifting. Bridge says, great interview, laughing my ass off. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Norman says, along this line, there is a recent interview and call-in show that I found important regarding our constitution and women in our country. Thank you for giving us that C-SPAN link. Uh, Paul Fleming thought it was a super interview. Thank you so kindly, sir. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Wonder if people in those countries even get to see, watch her. Probably not. But they can get her in a clandestine manner. And we know that there are anonymizers that these people overseas use. Anonymizers are ways where you can actually still get data, I mean, get videos and everything from everybody else. So there are ways to do that. So anyway, I, I, there's three videos left that I didn't get to show. But when you guys bring better 
a bit what I call a better um, flavor. When you when we talk about things that you bring up, it's much more important to me than things that I that I may have put together. How is Ashley? Love the photo. Thank you so kindly, Bridge. Ashley is doing fine. She just put out a video on her Instagram where they're they're showing her uh, how to cook more efficiently. And they had her on a, on a sort of a recumbent bike, kind of working the best she could. They had her uh, doing a lot of PT, OT, uh, occupational therapy, uh, and, uh, physical therapy, etc. She comes, I go pick her up on, uh, on uh, Thursday. I got her, a, 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 she, she's walking and doing everything fine, but I, I, I got a, a carrier's wheelchair so that, you know, when she gets tired and we're out working out and so forth, that we can bring her back good. So I, I installed the stuff in her shower, her bench, all that kind of stuff. So she's doing great. And what I told her all the time is that she has a posse. You guys have been wonderful. You guys have also given me hope. You guys have given, well, you guys have always given me hope in humanity as being the promoters of progressive values, guys. And even our conservatives in this group are very, very, I mean, I, I think they're at least having a conversation. Well, John Smith just says, you obviously don't know how welfare programs were set up by Democrats since the mid-60s that economically got people stuck on such programs. And you know what? The, what? That statement that you just made, John Smith, is actually a correct statement. I mean, it's, it's, most, it's partially correct, I should say. We need the, the programs, but they, the programs were done in a particular manner that exacerbated some people in not moving ahead. I'm not going to argue about that with you, John. But, you know, we have to entertain the conversation in an intelligent fashion as far as how to create these programs that promote an ascent to self-sufficiency as opposed to just leaving it, uh, leaving it in, some other, uh, in some other modal. So we'll talk about that along the way. Um, Norman says, our current capitalist system sees all the nature, people, air, water, as a resource to be used and discarded. We are part of the natural system and abuse leads us to our current odious condition each of these years. You're absolutely right. Uh, Rose Williams says, fantastic news about Ashley. Please give her our love. Will do. You need the rest of the, uh, uh, the rest too. Uh, yes, I need to rest. I've been getting three and a half hours. It's, 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 it's hard. You're, you're correct about that. Uh, let's see. Bridge MCP, but it always looks tired because... He <laughs> I love you guys. I just love you guys. And I really, really mean that to the depths of my heart. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Everett, for the great news. Thank you very much. Hey, John Smith, I hope you're going to be hanging around us for a while because I love to entertain, you know, I mean, entertain the things they say. But I got to get out of here. One more, t but I got to do one more plug to ask you guys. Those of you that are new to the show, please click that join button. Become a part of our PDR Posse. Click that join button if you're on YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, please go ahead and support us via uh, this link, politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube, also politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. You can also support us on PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. And uh, you can find our books at politicsandright.com slash books. And of course, you can find all the options of supporting this program by going to politicsandright.com slash support. I got to get out of here. Thank you. I'm going to see Ashley right now. Uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, 
My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.